0: Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. Hey, everybody ready for a little teaching today? Yeah, get a little word, something we can take with us this week. What's up? Good to see you guys. Haven't seen you for a while. All right. Excited. Okay, so I think today, I said this last week, but I think today might be our last Sunday on our series of Rock Solid uh, I may just do one more, I'm not sure. But. So we've been, uh, I kind of wanted to bring it to a head now. So we've been talking about, for the last several weeks, about uh, from the teaching of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I just want to emphasize today that when he is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, if you go to the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he's speaking to his disciples. So it's important to remember that today when we look at these few verses we're going to look at, which are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So in the series, Rock Solid, of course, we talked about the two men, one wise and one foolish. They both wanted to build a house. They both built a house. They both experienced the same storm, but they had two completely different outcomes. One house built on the rock, one house built on the sand. Of course, the house on the sand, it said it collapsed and great was its fall. And the one on the rock, of course, it withstood the storm. And that's what we have been talking about is God wants you to be able to have a life that will withstand storms. So one thing we know is that both guys, wise and foolish, both experienced the storm. So there are going to be storms in life. There's going to be things that you uh, come up against that are going to come against you, whether it's just natural causes, whether it's the enemy, whether it's your own stupidity. You know, sometimes that storm is because we're dumb. Right? We make bad decisions. We end up going through a storm. I see Andrew nodding. Been there, right? Been there, done that. So at the end of the day, the purpose of having a solid house is just not so we can have a solid house. There's a point to having a solid life, to building a firm foundation. That at the end of the day, God wants us to be able to go out and lead other people to him. And if we're living in a house, if we have a foundation that's shaky, if our own house is not secure and not steadfast and not solid, how effective are we going to be when we go out and talk to the world about Jesus? And they see us living in a house that's got the roof blown off and the windows caved in. They're like, I don't want that house. Right? So our house has something to say about the God we serve. And so today I want to talk to you a little bit about salt and light and what Jesus has to say about that. When we look at salt and light, before we really get into the, the message, you know, this these few verses are really talking about that as believers, the nature of Christ in us should have a, an effect on the world around us, right? The fact that Jesus lives in us should have an effect on the world that we come in contact with. And that we can have a great church, we can have a lot of people show up on Sunday, we can have a lot of people watch online, we can have a lot of likes on Facebook, we could do a lot of good things in Cumberland, But at the end of the 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 day, we could do all those things and never transform a city. Because the purpose of salt and light is that we infiltrate, we influence, we impact, we alter and change the culture of the world around us. It's great that we come together on Sunday. I love Sundays. It's kind of like the team meeting, right? We get together. We get some teaching, but it doesn't end here. And Jesus is calling us to a lifestyle that has an impact and an influence on the world. So let's, let's go ahead and we'll start. I want to read Matthew chapter, if you have your Bible, you want to turn to it. If not, it's up on the screen. We're kind going to get started into this. So, as we, I'll give you a couple points, I'll give them to you ahead of time. So, as we read through this, just kind of the introduction, Jesus is going to make three, three things here. He's going to give a statement of fact, he's going to give a statement of the obvious, and then he's going to give us a statement of purpose, and we're going to look at each of those just separately. And then, a lot of times when we hear teachings on salt and light, people will tell us all about the characteristics and the property of salt and the properties of the light, and I may talk about that a little bit, but how about some practical application? How about, what does salt look like? Say, I'm supposed to be salt, what does that mean? I mean, a lot of us are real good at being salty, right? You got that one down. So what we're going to do today is just kind of ask the why, and we're going to learn how to be salt. And light, what does it mean to be light? How can I be light? So we're going to look at the one that was the example for us. We're going to look at a couple things about Jesus And really, I think salt has a lot to do with our words or grace-filled words. And, of course, light, it tells us here, is our good works. Those are the two things we're just going to look at toward the end, grace-filled words and good works. That's kind of the message if you just want to wrap it up and head home. No, I'm just kidding. That's it. All right, let's, let's read. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Father God, I just ask today that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. So I ask that you would use my words today. Think through my mind, speak through my mouth, and Lord, deposit in us what you'd have for us to take home. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first of all, Jesus makes a statement of fact. Anybody see the facts? I'll give you a hint. They're highlighted. Anybody see something highlighted? The facts. Yeah, you got that? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the earth. World. All right, somebody wasn't reading. (laughs) That's all right. So he makes a statement of fact. He says, Here's the facts. He said, You are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, remember he's talking to his disciples and he prayed for his disciples, he prayed for us. We are his disciples if we are followers of him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the what? salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Right. So he's making a statement of fact. So it's not something I'm trying to become. So we spent all this time building up and building this foundation that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That this is who you are. This is your nature. You're not righteous because of what you do. You're righteous because Jesus made you righteous. And, and, and that's who you are. And the fact that now his nature is in you, that should have some sort of effect on your behavior. And then that should then have some sort of influence or impact on the world. He says that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. See, a lot of people are comfortable being the salt of the church. Or the light of the church. See, you're real good at saying, well, I'll come on Sunday. I'll come to Bible study Wednesday, and I'll be the teacher's pet. Ooh, drill, drill, drill. I know the answer. Or maybe on Sunday morning, you're calling out amen, praise, whatever you do. You're real good at being salt and light here, but that's not what we are. He says you're the salt of the world, earth. I should get it right. You're the light of the world. So he's talking about getting outside. He's talking about not doing it here. So what do we know about salt? So if you look, and if you want to be, uh, where's where's my resident fact checker, Phil Keifer? But give Phil a round of applause because not only not only does Phil lead the men's home, he's a, he's our resident fact checker. Matter of fact, when Phil was doing uh, Phil was doing announcements last week. I didn't catch this, but our, other, our, our number two fact checker that plays the drums, he, he caught it. Anybody know that? Pastor Jay. Phil said, the book of Revelations. Ah. Jay texts me. goes, I didn't know there were two. <laughs> I got you, Phil. That too. You had to take that one. All right. So, um, what was I saying? I forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah. So, a couple things about salt. So if you look up the uses of salt, and I got this from history.com. I mean, you got to believe something called history.com, right? they got their own TV channel. It's got to be right. There are over 14,000 reported uses for salt. Now, I've got no idea what beyond about three are, but they said there's 14,000 different uses for salt. People use salt for a lot of things. I don't want to get too far off tangent today and talk about all the different uses of salt. Because obviously there's healing properties of salt. Uh, my wife and I, it's kind of odd, we were, was it the Dead Sea? Yeah, the Dead Sea is like 30% salt and it has healing properties, but at the same time nothing lives in it. Everything dies. It's kind of weird. It's kind of cool that you can, you can float in the Dead Sea without trying to float because of all the salt. It's kind of odd. But the, the, probably the most common use of salt is what? Yeah, seasoning. That, that salt, probably of all those different 14,000 different uses, now this is going back back in the day. Anybody ever make ice cream? Anybody ever make it by hand? 1975 style. Right? You put all this. I know my father in law's here today. and mother-in-law from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Let's welcome them. Hey, yes. They drove 1,000 miles just to come to church. What are you guys doing? Come on. <laughs> But there was this rock salt that you'd make ice cream with, and you'd have to crank and crank and crank, and somehow it lowers the, the freezing temperature and crank out ice cream. So there's all these different kinds of uses for salt. Anyway, so essentially salt is for flavoring. Matter of fact, I, I, I just, we went out to lunch yesterday with my in-laws, my wife and I did, and I thought, I'm going to see what my wife does when we sit down at the table. Now, She and I were talking a little bit yesterday about etiquette. Let me give you a little restaurant etiquette, okay? We'll just take a little sidebar here. If you're in a restaurant, it's impolite to salt the food before you taste it, right? It's really offensive to the chef because the chef, if he's done his job or she's done her job correctly, it should be perfectly seasoned. You put salt on your food? Oh, So when you're in a restaurant, the first thing you do is you sample the food and then if it doesn't have enough salt, then you can either ask for the salt and pepper and you put some on. My wife knows this, but what does she do as soon as they set the salad down? Wah! Oh, it's a salad. Well, if you call fried buffalo chicken a salad, I mean, is that a salad? (laughs) kind of like healthy, right? The buffalo chicken, the salad, they kind of like wipe each other out, right? So salt's in a seasoning. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, that you should bring some flavor to life. You should make people's lives better. You should improve the people that you're around. People shouldn't get to you and walk away feeling like they got the life sucked out of them. Right? You got John Maxwell, probably one of the greatest leadership trainers of all time John likes to talk about people that are lifters and people that are leaners everybody knows a leaner right they come up and they just drag you down all they do is lean and then there's other people that lift they pick you up you have an interaction with them and you walk away feeling really good about yourself you walk away feeling great They've improved your life. Salt adds flavor. Salt adds seasoning. He says, you're the salt of the earth. He also says, you're the light of the world. Interesting fact about light. I didn't know this, but visible light. You can check this out, discoverymagazine.com. I'll just cut, cut to the chase for you. Visible light, right? The light we see is one ten-billionth of the electromagnetic spectrum. So all, all light is, is wavelengths. There's infrared and gamma rays and x-rays and, and all those different rays. Visible light is only one ten-billionth of that. It's amazing. God created that. And get this. Goldfish can see infrared light that we can't. I always wondered, how they, how they ask that goldfish... I mean, how'd they do the eye test on the goldfish? Just can't really figure that out. But so they say, whoever they are. So light, probably the basic property of salt is flavor. Light does what? It enhances your ability to see. Right, I went downstairs just a little bit ago before service, no lights on in this room, and I walked down the spiral staircase in the dark. Now, I was hanging on the whole time because one false step, and I'm not here today. But walking up the staircase, there's light at the top. It's easier to walk into light than it is to walk away from light. Because light enhances your ability to see. It makes things visible. So, so basically, J- Jesus is saying that you're salt, that there's some sort of flavor or seasoning you're to bring to, to the world... There's also some sort of uh, something you're to give light to, something you're to enhance their vision on, something you're supposed to take to the world that enables them to see something that they couldn't see before. Jesus. So Jesus makes these statements of fact. Everybody say this. And don't feel sacrilegious because we're going to look at Jesus was the light of the world. But say this. If you're a disciple, say... I am, salt. I am salt. I am light. That's what he called you. That's who you are. So the next thing he does, he makes, uh, he basically states the obvious. Now, I put up just to help you remember here. Go to the next slide. If I know this guy? Anybody Cap- know Captain Obvious? Hotels.com? Anybody sitting next door to Captain Obvious right now? See, Captain Obvious says, if you're reading, you can read. If you're reading this, you can read. Yay. Here's the thing about obvious. It's not always quite obvious. right? Some things that should be obvious to everybody just aren't. Mark Twain said, the thing about uh, common sense, he says, what I found about common sense, it ain't that common. Right? You'd think it would be common because it's called common sense, but it's not. It's the same thing with obvious. So Jesus, I, 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 I'm sure he's hanging out with the disciples, and he gets ready to make this next statement, and they're sitting there like, here we go, Captain Obvious, Jesus again. And he's stating the obvious. But there's a point to him stating the obvious. What's he say? He says, if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing. If salt no longer seasons... What well, good is it? If it doesn't impart flavor, if it doesn't enhance the flavor of something, it's pointless. I've noticed something through Corona, and we're talking about salt on, uh, on restaurants. So it's been nice, been able to get out a few restaurants lately. But you know, in most restaurants now, what they don't put on the table? Why? I feel like they're just lazy. They don't want to have to clean the salt. But there's no salt. What good is salt that's not on the table? I feel like the church has done the same thing as the restaurant, as we put the salt in the cupboard. It's time to get the salt on the table and out of the shaker. She says, if salt doesn't season anything, what good is it? Your salt. Therefore, you need to season. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hid. Duh. Right? If you have a city up on top of a hill, guess what? You can see it. Obvious, but not to everybody. He says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. He says, you don't take a light. Get a flashlight. Let's just pretend for a minute. You know, I looked for a flashlight today in my house. I couldn't find one. Hopefully we don't have a light, a power outage, but did you ever find one? I don't know. But anyway, just imagine if this was a flashlight. What good is a flashlight if I stick it down here? It's of no value. So Jesus is effective. So we are to be effective. We're to, we're to effect change in the world, but if we're not seizing anything, kind of pointless. says if you are the light... But if you're not shining anything, pointless. You're ineffective. So then he goes on to tell us what the statement of purpose is. He says this. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So he doesn't mention salt here. He mentions just light, but salt's also implied. So there's this whole thing. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see. Remember, light enhances the ability to see. Here's the thing. People can't see your relationship with Jesus in here. People can't see your theology. They can't see your doctrine. But they can see what you do. Now, sometimes we read this and then we read Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus says in Matthew 6, and it seems like a contradiction, he says, oh, let me, let me finish there. He says, so see your good works that they may do what? Glorify Father. So that the purpose of these good works, the purpose of being salt, the purpose of being light, is so people can see the Father. See, what you say And what you do will create a conclusion. People will draw conclusions about God based on you. Oh, they're a Christian. Then if they're a Christian, they must act like Christ, and Christ is God, and therefore that must be what God's like. And that we as salt, the flavor we add, and we as light, the vision we give of God, is what gives people an idea of what God looks like. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came to reveal the Father. That's what we do. Our job is to represent him well. And so we look at this, and, and, and we, then we think, well, Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, same message, says not to do your deeds before men. You remember that? So here he says, I want you to do good works before men so that they may see them. But then just a few sentences later, he says, hey, when you do your good works, don't do them before men. (laughs) Did he lose it? It says, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. So there's a difference here. This, if you're reading Matthew 6, is talking about reward. Do you want your reward today or do you want your reward in eternity? Matthew chapter 5 is talking about revelation. It's talking about opening people up to who God is. So that it comes down to motives. What's my motive for doing good works? Am I doing good works? So people are going to be like, ho oh, ho, look what Fred did. My goodness, wow, look at him. He's, he's doing it. Oh, wow, look at him. Is that my motivation? Is that my motivation? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let me put this out here. See, just let's see. I got 37 likes last time. Let's see if I can get 52 today. Or is my motivation to introduce people to Jesus? See, unsaved people can do good works. Unsaved people can feed the poor. Unsaved people can take in the homeless. Unsaved people can can help somebody across the street, but you have a different motivation. See, the anointing comes in to play when you're doing it for the purpose of introducing them to your your Savior. Jesus says, I want you to do it publicly for the purpose of giving them a vision of me, letting them know what I'm like. So let's just look at a couple things uh, about jesus next slide so here's jesus i want to i want to look at these two things i want to look at salt and life light in uh, in jesus's life just to give you an idea of just some practical application so jesus says he says to philip when philip asks says show us the father jesus says if you've seen me you've seen who the father So that we know that Hebrews chapter 1 says that Jesus was a perfect representation of the Father. The exact nature, the exact likeness, everything Jesus did perfectly represented the Father. So that if you don't see it in Jesus, it's not true of the Father. And if you see it in Jesus, it's true of the Father. Jesus said that everything he said was what he heard the Father say. So he said, I only say what I've heard the Father tell me to say, and I only do what I see the Father doing. So everything in Jesus' life was out of this intimacy with his Father, so that the words he spoke were the Father's words. The actions he did were the Father's actions. And that's why he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if Jesus was the light of the world, and now he says we're the light of the world... Can you say to somebody, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Does your life, does your actions, do your words represent your Father? I mean, I think that's the standard. Remember, Jesus is the standard. We want to water the standard down too often, but the standard is his life represented the Father, Therefore, my standard should be, my life should represent the Father. See, the word represent, if you, if you just, remember the word, what's, if you pull it apart, re, in front of a word means what? To do again, re, re means again, present. So when you're representing the Father or representing Jesus, you're literally re-presenting him. I'm presenting him again. See, Jesus presented the Father. Now we represent, represent him as well. And so my life matters. Your life matters. What you do, what you say really matters. So let's look at the first thing. We'll just take it kind of quick. Um, And we're going to have to let Scripture interpret Scripture because when you read this verse, Luke 4.22, you're going to say, well, that says nothing at all about salt. Nothing about salt. Anybody see salt in that that verse? If you can find salt, I'll give you 100 bucks right now. Anybody awake? There's there's no salt. We'll we'll find some salt, okay? We'll find a little salt. Luke 4.22 said, All the people spoke well of Jesus and were amazed at the words of what? Grace. So that when he spoke, some translations say the gracious words that come out of his mouth. it's, it's, It's the word grace. It means the words he spoke were full of grace. Well, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul tells us a very similar thing in the book of Colossians. And if we let one verse interpret the other, look at, look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4. So I put verses 5 and 6 together because it's talking about how you speak to those on the outside. Who would that be? Who are the ones on the outside? The world. The unbelievers. What you should do in response to them. It says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of what? And now look, what's that mean? Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What's Paul saying? He's saying, Jesus, they said every time Jesus spoke, his words were grace-filled words. Paul says, whenever you speak, let your words be seasoned with salt. Let them be mingled with grace. How often are we so quick-tongued and sharp-tongued to say things about people that are acting the way their father the devil would have them to act right they're unbelievers if you're here today and you don't know jesus and you're an unbeliever you're only acting the way you know how to act you don't have a new nature yet if you're here and you know jesus you have a new nature should affect the way that you speak and jesus says when you speak let your words be seasoned with grace So if I take grace and it's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, that God gave me everything, not because I deserved it, not because I earned it, not because I was worthy of at all of myself, and if I take that thought and I weave that into my language and release words that are seasoned with grace because somebody doesn't deserve, doesn't earn it, can't can't help themselves, and I I release grace into a situation, do you think that's going to make a difference in their life? Do you think they're going to walk away feeling better about themselves? I ran into a guy the other day, I'm pretty sure he's unsaved, I don't know, but if I had to guess, he's unsaved. He actually spoke prophetically into my life. Said things, and, and I was like, you know, you don't want to be weird. You don't have to be weird and say... Oh, I sense that thou possesses the spiritual gift of prophetic words and utterances. What's he going to do? Whoop! Crazy. Hey, bro, you really have a way with your words to encourage people. You really built me up in what you said. What does prophecy do? Paul says prophecy builds up and edifies. I don't need to get into the spiritual doctrine of what I saw there, but I could say, hey, dude, you built me up. That really encouraged me. Now, he might be living like hell, but he has gifts that God has given him that he just needs to get on the right team. Like, well, I only text bad things. That's even worse. My kids, when they were little, I, when they first got phones, I, I'd pick up their phones and I'd, I'd see cuss words in the text. I guess that's normal now. I don't know. I don't think it's normal. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Well, we didn't say it. Like, but you took the time to type it out. Ah, that's worse. Season your words with grace. Weave grace into what you say to people. You know, why was Jesus the friend of sinners? Why did the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the worst worst people in the world, why were they attracted to Him? Because His words were full of grace. Do you think it gave Him an opportunity to do some ministry? You know, a lot of times we quote Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. It says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed till the day of redemption. Anybody ever hear that verse? And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. Well, the verse, Ephesians four thirty starts out with a conjunction. And. Anybody get that? We don't usually say that. We just say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But the verse starts out with, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Whereby you're sealed the day of redemption, which means that a conjunction does what? Anybody remember that old conjunction junction? What's your function? Yeah. You have to be around for Schoolhouse Rock. I know, I know my brother Jeff was around when Schoolhouse Rock was around. <laughs> Maybe we can get the Elvis version of conjunction junction. No, it starts with the verse, the word and, which means it's connected to the verse before it. Well, the verse before it, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication, let no corrupt words proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed of redemption. What do you think, in context, grieves the Holy Spirit? Words that are not seasoned with Grace. He is the spirit of grace. And when you speak words that are not seasoned with grace, they contradict the nature that's in you. And it grieves him. So speak some grace-filled words. All right, second. Good works. So this one's kind of obvious because it was in there, it says, let your works, uh, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Oh man, I guess I got a whole nother message, but we'll just, we'll put on the speed round and wrap this up. I think a lot of times, let me just say this. I think a lot of times when you talk to believers about being light in a dark world, they think that their job is to expose the sinner. Well, what does light do? Light makes things more visible, so if I'm going to go into the world, I need to be on a sin hunt to expose all the sinners in the world. Well, the world is full of sinners, that's what they do, right? That's no surprise. If you read in context where Jesus said, I am the light of the world, you know what it was in the middle of? The woman caught in adultery. Imagine that. Let's read it in context. Most people stop at verse 12, but verse 13 is part of the same same, uh, passage. Let's look at this. John chapter 8. I'm not going to teach from this. I just want to read through it. I'm sorry, verse 12. It says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his fingers, though he did not hear. Verse 7 says, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you... Let him throw a stone at her first, and he again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even the last, and Jesus was left alone with a woman standing in the midst. Now, he's in the temple teaching, so there's other people around, right? The Pharisees, and the, they come in in the midst, and they throw this woman in the midst, caught in adultery. The law said, hey, she needs to die. They said, what do you say? He said, and you know the story. Who's without sin? Cast the first stone and says they all left. So now he's alone with the woman in the middle of a crowd. It says, when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again. So now he goes back to his teaching of the multitudes, and he says, or the, the people at the temple, I am the light of the world. He follows up, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, by the way, I'm the light of the world. See, so often we think the light of the world is to expose sin, to condemn sin, to judge people that are sinners in their sin. We talked about judgment a few weeks ago. Judging is to be done in the church. It's appropriate. Judging is not for the outside. So we're judging in here, out there we're not. Too many Christians want to get the flashlight out and go in the world and look to expose people. See, even when Paul says that a believer should have no no, uh, communication, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, he's talking about fellowship with the works, not with the people. Jesus said, if you're to come out of the world, get out of sin, or to get out of a sinful situation, I'd have to take you out of the world. But our job is in the world. We're just not of it. See, I find it interesting, two times Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Both times were connected to sin. See, what he's saying is, here's what I want you to do. I want you to expose people to the light of no condemnation. That when you bring them to Jesus in their mess, In their prostitution, in their adultery, in their whatever, no condemnation. Now, Jesus didn't compromise his principles. He says, now go and sin no more. See, Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. The light that we're to expose people to is the light of his grace that He is the answer for their sin. But we want to expose them that they're sinners. Well, obviously, they don't need to know that. They need to know the good news. That Jesus paid for that. He wants a relationship with them. The funny thing is, the disciples, the very next chapter, didn't get it. Because it says they're walking by the street and they see a guy blind from birth. John chapter 9. And the disciples said, hey master, hey teacher, who sinned? Was it this guy or was it his parents? What are they trying to do? They're trying to find the sin. Jesus said, neither this guy nor his parents, but that the works of God may be revealed in him says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Oh, yeah, by the way, I am the light of the world. And it says he put mud on his eyes, sent him to the pool of Siloam, and the guy received his sight. Again, the, the disciples are doing the wrong, they're, they're looking for the wrong thing. Hey, there's a the blind guy. I wonder who was the big sinner in his family. Was it his parents or was it him? Or... He was like, what are you doing? The guy's blind. He needs healed. I'm going to use this situation to manifest my glory so that people will realize that there's an answer for their situation. It's going to be like a bell that you're ringing. Hey, I got the answer. Think people are going to pay attention when the blind guy's eyes open up? Yeah, you bet. Here's the point I want to make from this. Let's go back one slide. Let me see your hand if you're the soul of the earth. Let me see your other hand if you're the light of the world. How long did Jesus say that he was the light of the world? As long as what? Oh... mean there's no Christian retirement I've been serving the Lord 43 years I'm tired when do I get to go on vacation when do I get to retire from from ministry you don't it's a lifelong endeavor Jesus said as long as I am in the world I am the light of the world because there's coming a day when I won't be able to do it any longer His life was a lot shorter than most of ours. You got today, tomorrow, most of us have 30, 40, 50, 60 more years. What are you going to do with it? Never too late to start. I want to go one more, two more slides, we're done. Really, it's just a quote. So based on what the world hears you say and sees you do, they're going to draw a conclusion about God. What he, who he is, what he's like, good or bad, whatever that is. So I want you to think, are the words I'm speaking seasoned with salt? Do they impart grace to the people that are hearing it? Is it attractive? Is it, is it seasoning people? And the things that I'm doing, am I condemning people? Or am I opening them up to the light of Jesus? I'm just going to close with this slide. A guy named John Stott. John, John Stott, he's dead. I think he was born in 1921. He died, I think, in 2011. So he's like 90 years old. He was an, from the Anglican Church. Wrote a lot of books. He was a theologian. He was a presbyter in the Anglican Church. But I like this statement he made. He said, we should not ask what's wrong with the world, for that diagnosis has already been given. Right? The world is a mess. That's kind of Captain Obvious, right? He says, we should not ask what's wrong with the world, for that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask what happened to the salt and light. You know, if we sit here day after day and complain about, oh, boy, the world's so bad, and boy, the world's a dark place, and boy, the world's in a state of decay, well, that's probably because the salt and light's in here and not out there. See, if the world's so dark, it's probably because the church is not being the light. If this world's in a state of decay, it's probably because the church is not being the salt. But we can do... Go on and on about how bad the world is. Like he says, that diagnosis has already been given. That's a moot point. The relevant point is, is that you are salt, you are light, and you have a commission from Jesus to go represent him in the world. Let's pray. Let's stand up. I want to pray for you guys today. We're just going to close because we have, we have, we have a, we have a big job and don't feel pressure. Here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. We don't really talk a lot about the good works of Jesus. We talk a lot about, we talk a lot about the miraculous, the supernatural, and I love all that, but you know, God will anoint you to do good works too. A lot of times we say this verse really fast, but we don't really pull this phrase out. Acts 10, 38, it says, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now, that's speaking to his humanity. Jesus of Nazareth, not saying Jesus, the son of God. It says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And you have the same promise. So God with you anoints you with the Holy Spirit and with power to do miraculous, but also to do good. Isn't that a great thing? And the difference is, is when I step into good works and do it with the motivation and the purpose of introducing people to Jesus, he's on it don't feel the pressure like you got to do it. He's there. Father, I thank you today. I thank you so much for your word. Lord Jesus, you spoke this over 2,000 years ago, but it's eternal. It's the same. You're the same yesterday and today and forever. Your word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's forever settled in heaven. So, Father, I just pray that your word would would penetrate deep. Father, I just ask for your Holy Spirit's anointing to rest on each person here today. Father, everyone that knows you would step in to the call and to the mission that you've equipped us and called us to do. Father, that we are to go into the world, that we would speak words of grace, that we would be cautious before we speak, cautious before we text, cautious before we... Write something on Facebook or wherever it is, Lord. Is this seasoned with grace? And just that we would pause. And Father, when we encounter the world, Lord, that we would open the light up of your goodness, Lord, no condemnation. That we would open the visibility for unsaved to see you, and what you've done for them. Father, enable us now, grace us to do this as only you can. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, is questioning whether they know you, Lord, I ask that you would just draw them to yourself. Let them make a decision that today can be the day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're dismissed.